That was Lady Unchained with Road to Victory. Welcome to Three in a Crowd, the podcast all about creativity, mental health, social change and how they interact. My name is Vanda Canton and I'm an artist, facilitator and researcher. Each week I'll be talking to people using creative and artistic ways to change the way we think. I'm joined today by the unstoppable Lady Unchained, who, as you've just heard, is an incredible talent and an example of exactly why I wanted to start this podcast. So, on with the show. I met Brenda, aka Lady Unchained, in 2019 when we were both judging the spoken word category for the amazing Kersler Awards alongside Jason N. Smith. For context, Kersler Arts are a charity in the UK who champion the creative endeavours and talent of people who are or have been in prison, immigration centres, juvenile detention and psychiatric hospitals. So when I got an email from Kersler saying that Brenda would be judging as well, I was excited. I was already following her work and genuinely had a bit of a fangirl moment when we finally met. Brenda is a performance poet, broadcaster, mentor, TEDx London speaker, host on Straight Line, founder and creative director of Unchained Poetry. She has been working on documentaries, radio features and is now expanding into more podcast territory. Brenda promotes life after prison, not only building on her own experiences, but supporting other people to find a platform and mode of expression to talk about theirs. Aside from being an incredibly talented artist and advocate for people affected by the criminal justice system, she has a wicked sense of humour, is a really warm and insightful person, and I'm so pleased we stayed in touch. 
Brenda was one of the first people I thought of when I was thinking about putting this podcast together. So I am so happy that she's here. Welcome to Three in a Crowd, Brenda. How are you doing? I am good. I'm so glad to be here right now, man, honestly. And I just want to let you know that I'm a fan of yours. To meet like-minded people, people that want to kind of like change things that other people don't even want to hear about. So yeah, I'm just excited to be here. Like, let's let's, let's get this chat ready. I don't even know where you're going to go with this chat because we could talk forever. <laughs> I know, isn't it? I think we'll go everywhere. Let's everywhere. go everywhere. Let's go. <laughs> what, what I do want to know though, because I don't even know if I know much about the backstory to how you got into spoken word and poetry like what was your your journey there um I guess to be honest my spoken word being like a spoken word artist was never like a dream I had it wasn't something I was like oh yeah one day I'm gonna be a poet like never ever in school like to be honest when I was in school I wanted to do tourism I wanted to I think Everybody from South London, like if you're from like a cancer estate, all you want to do is get at the end. And I thought as being an air hostess, I can travel around the world and it would just take me everywhere. So that was my dream. I went to college, you know, um, and then the whole plan was to go to university and kind of just get that all out of the way. But then prison came (laughs) and ended up going to prison. And that is where I guess my creativity came from. It was just being in a place that it's so dark with so many people, but you're so lonely um, and mm. so much people with so many different anger and like complex needs. So it's like you're all you all need something, but because you all need something and you're not getting it, you kind of take anger out on each other, on staff. Um, and I started to think, you know, I'm going to get in trouble for everything here. Um, so the first time I wrote a piece of writing, it wasn't just poetry. It was just me to get the anger out. So what happened was mm. in prison, you get given a um, a meal, like regist- basically you get a form and the form has all the food that you can ask for the next day. Right. And I remember thinking, oh, they give you a meal like like a, a, like you can pick what you eat in prison. This is really chill. And I thought, OK, this is nice. So I picked everything I wanted. And, you know, when you're first in, you have like to go medication and all this stuff which was very weird for me because the medication line is like a long line and it's got a lot of different people that have, you know, methadone replacements, like all this stuff. And I was just this 21-year-old in this queue. The line was long. So by the time I finished getting what I needed to get, I um, actually ended up missing my meal. And in that process of missing my meal, I complained. I said, well, why did you, why did you make me fill out bloody form if the food weren't going to be there? And the officer said, this is not a hotel. And I thought, well, I know it's not a hotel because if I paid to stay in a hotel and you brought me here, I would ask for my money back. (laughs) 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 Oh, well, you cannot speak to me, Miss Berenji. You cannot speak to me like that. You are raising your, don't, with that tone and all this stuff. And I'm like, tone? But you, but got in trouble just for that. So I thought, oh, okay. So I can't even speak the truth here. Like, because the truth gets you in trouble. So I started writing notes and basically that was how poetry started like just these little notes and I, I kid you not in jail I really did not believe that was poetry the whole it becoming poetry and me becoming a performance like poet performance artist and stiff, all this crap was more like me going everyone going you're a poet and I'm like no no I'm not mm-hmm. like yeah but you've got all that piece of all that writing in that book and I'm like don't read it don't read it. It was a very dark time. Don't read it. Like, and people did get to read it. And I shared it with like youth. I was volunteering for a youth club and they were like, she's a poet. 
she's a poet and everyone kept calling me a poet but you know when you come out of jail you don't really like to be labeled as things like you don't want other people to label you so when people call me a poet I already still had this ex-offender like label as well so I was just like a poet ex-offender poet that doesn't make no sense who gets paid who who becomes a poet after prison so I, I really didn't believe it until I started going to like little open mics and stuff and even then I still didn't believe I was a poet I think it's it's very hard when you're um as a performer you kind of compare yourself to other people um mm. and then it's like oh but she raps like this and she she's a she's a poet like this and when she performs she performs like that so I had a lot of like oh no I don't perform like everybody else and maybe I'm not meant to be a poet but then actually I found out that my style is my style. Um, what I do and what I say is my story. And I can't tell anybody else's story. I can only tell mine. And I think that's when I became a bit more like, maybe I can be a poet. A hundred percent. But do you know what's really interesting as well? When you mentioned style. Yeah. I think that you have, I'm trying to think of like, what even is the word? It's like there's an authenticity in the way you perform. Like, for example, your piece on, I think it's called Unchained, is such a good example. Because I don't know whether you're consciously doing it, but you're just very rhythmic, melodic, but it's very natural. There's no kind of like, quote unquote, poet voice. It doesn't actually feel like um, you're performing anything other than an expression or a representation of yourself, which is very hard to do, I think. That's literally what I wanted. Thank style you. everywhere do you feel do you feel more confident in calling yourself or also a question do you prefer performance poet or spoken word artist and is there a difference I really don't know if there's a difference to be honest like sometimes I get really confused myself because I'm like should I say spoken word artist or should I say performance poet like I don't know but I think what I do I usually just put performance poet because I guess mm. spoken word artist is a bit I guess because I don't I'm not a like I don't write poetry and then put it on in a book and then hope to people people can read it. It's, for me, because of how I tell my story and how I perform, I need it to sound like that. So people mm. read things differently. So if they read it on paper, it might not come across exactly how I need it to come across. So I think I, pref- I prefer um, performance poet, really. Yeah. Mm. I think I Interesting. Like what I also like, though, is that you are very skilled at using live bands. Oh, God. And you I mean your some of your tracks are so eclectic because you've got like we just heard something with more of an R&B vocal but you've also got stuff that's almost like punky rocky yeah yeah where where does it come from like how does that it's crazy because I I missed the band I had a band I had this amazing band my producer Alex he had a friend Phil and Phil plays a guitar and, you know, this was when I was starting up and Alex was like, oh, let's see, let's talk to Phil. And they, Phil had a band. So he kind of called up all these friends and they listened to my lyrics. They listened to what I was saying. And what I do is when I write, I usually have instrumentals. So I find an instrumental that I can flow to. So this is when I know, OK, my flow, I can't flow to this because this is way too fast or this is just way too slow. So what I'll do is I'll find an instrumental. And when I feel comfortable with that instrumental, then I will send it to them and say, I kind of like how this sounds. Um, and that's how they started making the, the beats um, for mm. there's one piece I have P.O. Foley which actually mm. is uh, that track there I love that track so much because the guitarist that actually made that track that was his first he composed that whole piece of music and it was his first piece of music that he composed wow. and I remember he said to me 
he read the letter that I was telling him to read for Pio Foley and he went, so what do you want? You want it to be a bit dark, but still a bit like oomph. And I said, exactly. And mm-hmm. I did not believe what he was going to do. But when he came and he, I heard it, I was like, oh my God, Gareth, you just finished my whole, Pio Foley is finished. Like it's done. So I think because working with bands and working with producers, it's always, you have to make sure that you have the right sound because, you know, sometimes people just want to make music for you because they they want to work with you, but it's not the right music for you. So I've had, mm. you know, we did start off with like for the Unchained piece, there was a, the beat that they made originally with the music. It was just so, it was so like happy, like, and, and kind of like, it was more like, I don't know how to explain it. Like it was happy, but then a bit of like drum and bassy, but it was like, oh yeah, it was, it was happy a good drum and bass. It, it, exactly. It was good. But I said to them, because of what I'm saying in this piece, you know, when I listen to music, I listen to the music, I listen to the beat and then I listen to the words. But with that beat, I said, no one will listen to my words because the beat is so powerful that you just get start dancing and then you would forget. It's like, you know, when rappers rap and they're swearing and they're saying all this stuff, but you, you don't even catch that they even swore because the beat is like, Doof, and you're in a club just dancing. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want that for my stuff. I, I said to them, I really want to make sure that my words are heard and I want them to feel the message. So with the band, I think that was the best time ever. I really do want to get them back. I want to, especially with Pierre Foley, maybe um, perform that one day with Gareth, like with a live guitar um that's a big dream of mine so hopefully we'll get them back but the band that was an amazing journey of mine like to actually have the first event that I done was with all the artists were not ex-offenders it was just me um it was a free event it was in the O2 the band was there the band basically made the music for each artist and they performed live with a band and none of the artists had done that before so it was an experience for Mm -hmm. them and me um, but no, I, I, it was the band time was just, I get, I get, um, reminders now on, you know, on Snapchat and you get like the little reminders and you get like the memory, like you was with the band. Well, I on Snapchat. Oh my God. Nah. I, love Snap. I love Snapchat. I can't do. Oh can't my deal. God. I love that. Do you know why I love Snapchat? Yeah. Because God. basically see when I do, um, my national prison radio, when in the summer last year, when I was doing the videos of like, um, budgeting and housing and license, like. I had to just be on the spot and kind of do it. And it was so funny because I went, oh, it's like Snapchat then, right? (laughs) I remember other going, "Um, I don't have Snapchat. And I was like, no, no, this is perfect. So what I would do is when I'd go home, I'll go on my Snap and I'll just do the little videos like, okay, so we're going to talk about budgeting now, right? And you've got 10 seconds to make a perfect kind of like, get it? So I think Snapchat is kind of like, if you want to get them videos ready, practice on Snapchat. No one cares. Do you know what though? Just thinking about it, I wonder how many people are talking about budgets on Snapchat. Do you know what I mean? I like that. I like that. (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's a good way of doing it. it. People that follow me on Snapchat have to deal with all the extra things I do. So yeah, sometimes I am just Brenda in her house partying or with her friends. But then other times I'm talking about prison stuff and talking Mm. about like women in prison and um, Black Lives Matter and why it's so important for people in prison to understand how Black Lives Matter. And, you know, it's like people are just like, oh, God, Brenda, like sometimes you're just hilarious and other times you're like real deep and we, we just don't know. But that's what that's who I am. And it is a little platform. I like Snapchat. I'm not mm. as good as it as back in the days. When I first got it, I was like, every day there's a post. But now it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I find I find social media a bit... Uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm very good at it. I get a little bit baffled by it. I don't know what to post. I don't know when to post it or whatever. But also, like, do you find it 
that when you're talking about showing all elements of yourself which I love and that's kind of what I want to do more of yeah but I find it quite hard like I, hard. I find it quite difficult to address the misconception people might have of you or try to be yourself in everything you do like do you find that you're kind of easier that to do that it's hard because if you think about it, like I, I, my, like my artist name is Lady Unchained, and for a long time nobody really knew that my name was Brenda. They just knew me as Lady Unchained. So I'd get emails of like, "Hi, Lady Unchained," and I, as soon as I get an email with "Dear Lady Unchained," I knew they didn't know who I was. Like, mm. um, for example, I done an interview with National Prison Radio, and um, come on, Radio, I'm I'm interviewing like prison reform. This amazing woman, she's talking about this amazing work that she does. And I'm like, just, you know, I'm an interviewer, so I'm trying to be as professional as possible. And um, after the interview, because I remember her name and I'm thinking, I swear I got an email from this woman. I'm, I swear I got an email from her. So I said to her after the interview, um, did you did you send a message to Lady Unchained? And she was like, yes, oh my God, I really want to work with her. She's like, oh my God, I've listened to her work. <gasps> She's amazing. I'm like, oh. Um, and then all the producers have gone, you, you know, that's her, right? She's like, <laughs> what? She was like, all this time you've been interviewing me, I was listening to your voice and I was like, I know, I know this voice. And it's just, it's just, I guess for me, it was like, now I use Brenda a little bit more, especially after the documentary and stuff. But it's the fact that for me, Brenda was kind of still the person that got sent to prison. And she was Mm. still the one that wasn't as confident as Lady Unchained was. She was still the one that um, kind of feared, you know, maybe going back to prison, getting in trouble or not succeeding but Lady Unchained was just this confident person that just didn't really care like yes I've been to jail look what I'm doing now you know and I guess on social media when I do certain things I do it as Lady Unchained and then on my snap I'm kind of just Brenda um mm. and then on Twitter I'm Unchained so no on Twitter I'm just Unchained Poetry like, so I'm different people but when it comes to expressing myself when it's talking about prison stuff I have to do it as openly as I can. I can't lie. Like, I can't be like, and then, you know, things are getting resolved because it's a lie. I know who follows me knows that prison is not the best place and there's no help there. So it's kind of, I guess, how you want people to see you because that is social media. Social media is the place you can be whoever you want to be. But for me, I just want to be me. And Mm. if that means just being Lady Unchained one day and then being Brenda on Snapchat that's just still me I'm still one person and I'm just learning how to basically become the one person as a whole but during this lockdown it has kind of forced me to become one person because usually Brenda's the one that stays at home Lady Unchained's the one that leaves and goes to all these Manchester and performing stages and the the, the House of Laws that's Lady Unchained but now Lady Unchained and Brenda are stuck in one house and I have to take Lady Unchained's kind of work logic and put it in Brenda because if Brenda's in the house, she's just like, okay, we're doing nothing now. <laughs> we're, we're not doing anything, you know? So I, it's hard. I really, really relate to that. And I think it's been, it's interesting for me as well because, you know, I do perform and I do make music in my own right, but then I also use music in my work. Exactly. And I remember a few gigs that, you know, people would come to, they'd heard podcasts I've been doing or whatever and then turned up at the gig. And then the look on their face when I was on stage, because who I am on stage is not necessarily who I am off stage. Exactly. And whilst I might be a mentor or more kind of, I don't know, easygoing in my day to day life, I'm not when I'm on stage because that is 
my place where exactly. I can unleash some anger or I can talk about real things. But then that's also interesting in the context of the criminal justice system because I wonder to what extent we are able to speak that openly about it because it's such a misunderstood, maybe that's not quite, that's, okay, I'm doing it now actually, I'm pacifying my language <laughs> and saying misunderstood. Whereas actually, this is a massive issue. Yep. And you were talking about Black Lives Matter. Yep. And, you know, if we're talking about Black Lives Matter, we need to talk about the criminal justice system. Exactly. And if we talk about the criminal justice system, we need to talk about racism. Exactly. The two are so enmeshed. Exactly. And yet, we find ourselves, when we're having these conversations, being like, mm, or I do anyway, like, how do I... Yeah make this more gentle or how do I it's not a gentle experience it's not a gentle experience no I think Mm. I'm over it now I'm over I'm over saying like talking about prison in a light way like oh there is no racism in prison that would be me lying I I would I would be lying to for to everybody and for the people that because I go in prisons and I'm on national prison radio people hear my voice I'm that I'm trying to be their voice their outside voice I'll be lying if I said that the people in there right now are not facing racism, not being treated a certain way because of the skin colour or, you know, for example, being served deportation papers because, you know, they're in prison and even though they've grown up here all their lives. Like, had I not... And that was, that was what P.I. Foley was about, that was right? Exactly, that was, yeah, yeah. That is exactly what it is. I had, had I not gone to prison, I, I'll be honest, I wouldn't... I would not believe it. I wouldn't... I wouldn't... Yes, I've seen, you know people go to police stations and you know not come back and I've heard it on the news I haven't had someone directly connected to me go through it but what I did have was before prison was I had loads of male friends who were you know getting arrested getting stopped and searched going to prison coming out going to prison and I was that person that was like you guys just bloody enjoy this in here like last week you got arrested now you got a court case like you just this is your life right like you're never going to change I was that person so for me to then be the one looking at a proper sentence like I remember all the boys that I used to chill with going, nah, nah, something's not right. Nah, 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 nah. And they all said, you're not going to go to jail. They're like, you're not going to jail. Brenda, you've never, ever been in trouble. You're female. This is not going to happen. Don't worry about it. We've got you. And I remember being sent to prison and then calling one of the boys who, um, at the time, he had like three cases going on and he actually bust case. And when I called him and he answered, I, I, I don't know, part, this might sound bad, but part of me was like, how, how fair is this? Like, I literally, mm. I was, in a way, I thought he wasn't going to answer the phone and he was, you know, it was going to go to, and then I was going to get a letter saying that he's in jail. But actually he answered and he's like, Brenda, I'm so sorry. And I said, you're out. And he said, yeah, bust case. And I just thought, oh, okay. And he said, Brenna, this is not right. And I, I, I remember saying, okay, that's fine, that's fine. But at that moment, I still hadn't really gone through enough of the, the prison system to understand what was going on. Because he kept saying, sorry, Brenna, I'm so sorry. Please just let me know what you need. He's like, I'm so sorry. Like, what's about to happen is deep. And I, I didn't get it until I got sent to a, an immigration prison. And I remember when I was told to go to this immigration prison, you know, basically when you're getting transferred, it's a knock on the door the night before so they don't tell you they tell you after bang up in it just in case you make a phone call and do an escape mission or whatever um so they tell you the night before and I remember when they made that knock on the door I remember saying to the woman nah that nah that's not that's wrong that's wrong because I'd already had women this is in Holloway and I had women that had been taken away from me like friends that I'd met there like people Mm. I'd become friends with and they had all gone to this prison and they would write to me and tell me 
about the prison. But, you know, in prison, you have code. So they couldn't say the prison is racist. They would just say everything here is wrong. That paperwork is wrong, you know, and they will try to say it, but then they'll say, but it's really pretty. Like, you know, and they would say, we don't want you to come here. So when I got that knock, I was really just like, no, that's an immigration prison. I am British. And the woman just said, no, this is where you're meant to go. And had I refused to go there, they would have taken me to the block. So I would have been in seg. Mm. And in my head, I swear, sis, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, the prison I was in, like, just the cell alone, that's seg. Like, I don't need to go to another cell where it's even smaller than this one. Like, this is seg to me. Mm. Like, so for her to threaten me with that, it was like, okay. And I remember crying. Like, I remember crying my eyes out because I didn't know what to expect. And I had all the women going know through the doors and through the window going sis it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay listen it's gonna be okay they've obviously made a mistake like don't worry you will sort it out da, 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 da. and they're all trying to kind of comfort me through windows and through doors um and I remember I remember that journey even the woman that had initially told me like you know that I was being disrespectful about the hotel thing she I think she felt it for me because at first we had a big problem me and her had a big problem from that moment but I think because she could see that I wasn't a troublemaker, I wasn't like out here to just cause issues, she felt it for me. So she actually apologised to me when I was leaving. Um, and that journey to to Molten Hall, what we called Molten Hell, um, it, it was a very scary journey. It was like being on death row. Like, you know, it was like, Everything that you know, I'm from South East London. You've taken me now from Holloway to Lincolnshire, which is like about three, four hours away, going towards Manchester sides. And I've watched every single person that looks like me disappear through the journey until we got to a place where there was no black people. There was no Asians like that for me is a worry. There was no, if mm. I don't see no man them on the roadside with a hoodie or something, like something's wrong here. Something's wrong because that if the man them ain't even standing on the corners here, there's a problem. Do you understand? Because them man don't fear nothing. Okay, so if they're not here, there's a problem. And I remember when I finally got there, the first black person I saw was an officer at the gate, and that was the last black officer I saw. The last black mm. officer, but only for them to tell me when I wanted to leave there that. It was the best prison for me. It's a foreign national prison. I can meet people that speak the same language as me if English is not my first language. And they also said that there's officers. Yeah, yeah, there's officers that um, meet foreign national needs. Now, sis, tell me how you tell foreign nationals, black people, people of ethnic minority, that there's officers here that meet can meet their needs when there's not even one black or ethnic officer mm. to talk to all the diversity officers are white. So tell me how this is making sense. Like, it didn't make no sense to me. And I think that place there, that's kind of... When I was in Holloway, it was like, oh my God, I'm in Holloway. And then I started getting used to routine, got a job. You know, there was people like me. The officers are from ENDS. You know, some of them speak like me. You know, so you kind of get on with it. There, it was a whole different thing. There were so mm. many Black people, so many people of, like, ethnic minority, people that didn't speak English, people that spoke English. But there was also white women and I mean British women and this is where it got confusing for me because they had requested to come to that prison because they were from originally from Manchester so that's the closest prison for them to be close to their family right and it really did confuse me because I just thought firstly 
when you get into prisons, you have a slip. This slip tells you your name, your conviction, your sentence, your possible, your your end of sentence date, which is basically after. So if you get sentenced two and a half years, you do a half. So the end of sentence date will be the two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have like that condition, like HDC, or early release, da, 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 all this stuff. As a British inmate, I had all of that. But when I got to this prison, all of that was gone. It was finished. It was gone. Like, and I remember looking at the paper and saying to her, "This is wrong." And she so said, people in immigration centres don't have the same. So you Rottle, don't have for example, you don't do you want to just that. explain? You don't have any of so that. Rottle is basically when you are allowed to go. You get to a certain point of your um, sentence where if you have proved that you are, you know, respectable, you know, listen to rules and are kind of enhanced, you have to be enhanced, which means that you're a trusted inmate. Um, you're allowed to get apply for weekend release. So you can go home for the weekend or you can go to work outside of the prison or you can just be out for the day with your family. Mm. When you're a foreign national, that's not allowed because you're a foreign national, so you're not British. So ideally, I guess they're saying that you could not come, you might not come back because you're already going to get deported. So you might not come back. Um, so mm. all of that was gone. Like, <laughs> I remember I had like, I had like an early removal date and it didn't register early removal what it really meant so I refused to sign until I caused up a lot of trouble you know I was like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna leave that landing you have to stay on the enhanced land the induction landing for a week after that mm-hmm. you get transferred into the main wings and I refused I was like this is not happening I went on a hunger strike I love food you know I, you went I, on hunger strike. I, wow. went, I went on full hunger strike and when I talk about this now, it's so easy to talk about, but I've had this conversation with my little sister and my mum. And for the first time in, I guess, however many years, it actually said, when I was in that prison, that's when they were most scared. Because for a long time when I was there, they didn't realise it. So they thought I was going mad. So they were like, oh God, Brenda, she's not making any sense. Because I was saying to them, they're going to deport me. They're going to deport me. They're going to deport me. Do we have a passport? Like, no, I would say I'll speak really fast. Like and nothing was connecting because it wasn't making sense in my head. So the way I was talking to them, it sounded like I was losing my mind. Um, then they would come to see me on a visit when they finally got to see me, which is another problem. I was skinny. Like I was like, they and I wouldn't have seen it the way they saw it. But my little sister said she that when she saw me in that prison, she was scared. She said she's never seen me look like that. She said you was literally bones and like a little bit of flesh. She was like, you were so skinny. And she said, every time we'd leave, mum would cry because she's like, they're going to kill her. Like, they're going to kill her in there. And they would force me. I remember on the visits is when they'll be like, come, just eat something. And I'm like, no, I can't let them see me eating. I'm not eating. I'm not eating because they need to move me. And I would just, I was just like in this weird, paranoid kind of place. Um, and it's really but, crazy. I mean, t- to be honest, though, that this is, I think this is really important to talk about as much as possible because the uh, what I don't think is necessarily um, being considered in mainstream conversations around the criminal I say mainstream conversations around the criminal justice system. There aren't many mainstream conversations, no, no, but no. hopefully we can <laughs> hopefully, raise the profile exactly. bit. But actually, like to not even just the sentence in of itself, that's traumatic, right? Yes. But then you actually have the living in prison. Exactly. I mean, I cannot imagine. Is it even paranoia when these things are actually happening? This is you know? exactly like it's, the it's thing. not even a delusion. No, it's and then, not. like we've been talking about, um, that actually even the the build up 
to having to like one of the things that I think about all the time actually is the repercussions of forcing yourself to go to court so if you think about you've got a trial coming up obviously you don't want to go into what you know is going to be a hostile and punitive environment exactly and yet you have to force your body to walk yourself up those steps and get in that dock get in that court what do you think are the repercussions of that because for me it would make sense that that would create a lot of trauma and that is a traumatic experience and it's going to make you confused about can I trust myself like is my mind and my body connected like how do you even get over that can you get over it I think that only about maybe two three maybe about two three years ago now I've been I went to jail like over 11 years ago so you got to think how traumatic that is for me to say only about two to three years ago was I am I only mm. now to starting to realize some of the things that I had kind of got myself into during that time so the whole going to court process especially if you've never been through that process is traumatic enough let alone being then being sentenced like you go to court, I don't know, then they're like, oh, you, you might need to plead today. And then you go in that let you know they don't have this evidence. So you have to go back. We'll, we'll give you another date. Then you go home. You wait for this date to come up. A date comes up. And then every single time I had court, my best friend would be here, would pack a bag. I'd pack my bag because I was told that I need to pack a bag and take all the essentials that I think that I might need. So underwear, bras, whatever, med- any medication I need. Um, and I'd pack this bag and I'd write a list and I'd write this list out to my best friend. And I remember she'd always sit there and be so angry that I was doing it because she was she hated it because it, it hurt her to think, you know, my best friend's going to leave me. Like, when I say best friend, I would call her my sister more because we've grown up together. Um, and I would sit there and write out, I owe this much money. This much money's coming to my account. That pays that off. This is my pin. This is the pin for that one. This is my TV thing. This is, I had Virgin, need to cancel Virgin, da 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 and I'll make this list for her. And every time, you know, before we go to sleep, I'll fold it and put it on the side so that when she wait, when she comes back, if she don't come back with me, it's right there. And mm. every single time we'll come back from call, she'll rip it up, which meant I had to write it out. <laughs> She's so <laughs> She'd rip it up. And then, like, it meant I would have to write it up. But what happened during that time is that I changed. I changed a lot. Um, before court sentence, court appearances and stuff, I was kind of the... Brenda that everyone wanted to be out with I didn't go clubbing a lot um but if I did go clubbing I have like a little, a little drink and then a little couple of like literally one glass I'm like I'm all like tipsy and then I'm all like cracking joke and everything is funny and everyone wanted to be around me but as the more I had to appear in court when we would go out it wouldn't be the happy Brenda I would mm. drink to the point that by the end of the night somebody's getting cussed either it's my sister either it's a boyfriend I'm seeing somebody in the club, anybody, somebody's getting cussed. And that's because I had so much fear of this whole um, court thing and going to prison. You know, I was told that I can be looking at a five-year sentence. Like, a five-year sentence for somebody that's 21 years old. I got arrested Mm. at 20, so I was on bail until 21. So you got to understand that in my head, I'm like, 21, five years I'm going to be old by the time I come out. You know, when you're like 21, everything yeah, course, past 25 is old. Like, you know, you're like, no, I'm going to be an old woman. So I had a lot of fears. I started drinking a lot. Um, everything that I dealt with was just anger. It was just the, the Brenda that was once the happy, smiling, 
you know, just cracking Joe Brenner. She wasn't there. She wasn't there. And I hadn't even realized that she was gone. I really had not realized. Um, it's only, like I said, a few years ago that I realized that I'm kind of gaining back that Brenda. Um, I trust myself more. Um, I trust my own thoughts more as well. Before it was like, I would, I would question everything. Like I would question if I was good enough. And even after jail, I still found myself back into the, I'm going to drink a lot because I, don't, I ain't got a job. I'm going to drink a lot because my family are not, you know, they're just like, oh, well, Brenna's still getting angry and she's still, why she's so angry, she's free. But it, it, they hadn't clocked that I wasn't free. And that's what people need to realise. There's a trauma before jail. There's a trauma while you're in prison. And there's a trauma when you get out. So mm. you got to think one sentence is not really one. You're doing three sentences. A hundred percent. The waiting to go to prison. Why well, this prison, is the thing. Right? This is the thing, though. People, I don't <clears throat> think people necessarily understand that actually that waiting process for your court date can be long. It can be it long. It can be years. It can be years. Yeah, yeah. And in those years, you're having yeah. to think about, you know, how do I exist in the world when all of a sudden I'm going to have that taken away from me? And if you think and about also, the anger as well, if you're hmm. going to court and waiting and you're so angry... How easy is it for me in that time? Imagine when I was getting drunk, getting angry. How easy exactly. would it have been for me to argue with the wrong person? Now I'm I'm seen because I started to believe that I was just this violent, angry person. And I started to believe the thing, that rhetoric against you. And then it's like, oh, angry black woman, right? Exactly. Go exactly. through huge trauma. And then people go, oh, well, look, she's angry. She's no. angry. Yeah. This is a, a broader conversation we need to have. Like, anger is not a random emotion like it comes from somewhere and trauma comes from somewhere like it's not it's not out of the blue but the other thing as well is in terms of those thinking about all the things that you've got to do this is so important when we talk about women going to prison as well because all of those things that you have to prepare they also happen if you get a short sentence exactly the impact of women getting short sentences people I have seen being more like okay well if you reduce the custodial sentence, then we're making a fairer criminal justice system. No, you've got no, a mother, no. she's got however many kids that she yep. cares for, she's yep. got a job, she's got a house, yep. and then all of a sudden, you get even if it's a six-month even, you get even. a six-month custodial, you've still yeah. got to manage all of that stuff. But it, uh, the other thing I wanted to pick up on as well and get, get your thoughts on is how or whether do you think that people have a misunderstanding of the situation in the UK so actually if you look at David Lammy reports in um, 2017 he was saying that there is a greater disproportionality in the number of black people in prisons here than in the US yeah but it seems that people think it's an American problem it's not an American problem it's 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 here how do we how do we address that and and how I mean your work is very multifaceted you're you're doing like the the public speaking side of things you're doing podcasts you're doing documentaries but you're also bringing performance poetry and unchained poetry to how do the two collide or intersect it's so unchained poetry is just a platform for people with lived experience of the criminal justice system and that's because I realized when I was kind of building what I was trying to build that there was no news about ex-offenders that wanted to change what they were telling me was that 
as an ex-offender, all I can ever be is an ex-offender or mm-hmm. a, a future criminal for life, you know? And that's why the platform is there so that people can share their experience and also let other people know that it's okay to share their experience. You know, as if for me as an artist, I think I've been doing it for a while now and to get the kind of people to actually know who I am is amazing. But what I want to use that title for is the fact that there is half of the population in prison are black or of ethnic minority. And, you know, when we're talking about the marches and stuff, I, you know, I know I was happy to see white people marching, you know, different kind of races and whatever. But I just thought, imagine if all the black people in prison were allowed to march. Because then you see, maybe you start to see, because, you know, I, I don't know mm. who it was that said it. And they were like, I was really, I was like, that's an old uh, civil rights kind of, oh, I can't remember his name, but he was at, uh, he was at David uh, George Floyd's funeral and he said he was so amazed to see so many white people marching. And I think that's a good thing. But I just, I, I in the back of my head, I was like, there's a lot of white people marching because half of the black people are in prison. They can't march. Even if they wanted to, they could not march. So for me, mm. um, my, my mission is to kind of put um, some kind of protest, put on some kind of you know, a poem or a sit down protest. And I mean, not a march. I don't want to organise a march because I feel like the anger around everything that's going on could easily be led through anger. And I don't want to be that leader. Um, I also don't want to cause riots in prison because when you have a voice and people in prison hear that this is what's happening, um, they're going to start acting up because if you think, okay, they'll be like, okay, Lady Unchain's the person that speaks for us and now you're going to try and lock her down or da 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 then you're going to cause like a big problem in jail. So what I want to do is do like a sit-down protest and that sit-down protest will then showcase one of my poems, Forgotten People, and talk about the fact that there is so much racism in prison. What you said at the beginning when you was like, for us to talk about the criminal justice system, we have to talk about racism. And it's, just, it's two things. It's not it's not two separate things. It's one thing, mm. you know. And what I hate is the fact that people sometimes don't want to admit it, um, which makes me confused because I know they know that they've had to maybe go into prison and talk to somebody one-to-one and they've said, I don't I think they're being a bit racist. And it's so funny when black people say this, we always say, I think they're being a bit racist. We never say, oh, they're being so, racist. So that's interesting. So you think that it's more difficult for black people to say that it's racist than it is for... Because for, I would have assumed that it would be white people would have a difficulty confronting nah, the fact that... That's interesting. Why, why do you think that is? So my nephew's got a new podcast. He started his own podcast and he's actually <laughs> he actually said something along the lines of like, you know it's not as bad as America. Like, it's not as bad. And then his friend actually said to him, see, but that's where we, 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 that's where we have a problem because we were just like, it's like black people were just like, okay, it's not as bad. So, but we know it's bad. We know it's bad. But we just say it's not as bad. And I think, I think for me, that is the older generation of um, like my mom, my aunties, they've been taught to kind of live with things. So maybe her, the generation before her, they were the fighters. They were like, no, we won't stand for this. No, 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 no. Then it kind of went down. So my mum's generation was like, oh, you know, like sometimes I get angry at my mum because she'll be like, no, but I spoke to the guy. And I'm like, what guy? She's like, you know, the white man, I was talking to him. He said, it's, he said, that's no, we can't do it. I said, so the white man told you no. And that's it. That's the end of it. She said, yeah. And I think now our generation, my generation, the generation after us, they're becoming, no, 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 this this can't happen. But they still say it's not as bad. And it's got to the point where 
we're living with, it's not that bad. And we're just kind of comfortable that it's not that bad. But, but I mean, where, where is that even coming from? Because even if you think, like, for example, like at the moment with more attention paid to death than police custody following George mm. Floyd's murder, yeah. but actually in the UK, if we say black people are accountable, is the yeah. language they use, for 3% of the population, and yet 8% of people <laughs> who die in police custody are black. The problem is here... Things are not reported as much. So, for example, if something happened to me now, I'd report it. I would go through, you know, a, I'll call my friend who's a solicitor and I'll get advice, if, you know, and I'll talk to somebody else and see what I can do. Um, other people don't do that. So now you have, for example, stories coming out from what happened to them five years ago. Police did this to me mm. five years ago. There's a video. Police did this to me six years ago. It's all coming out now because they've been given a platform to say it's okay to speak about it. However, when they speak about it, what the police does, and I don't like speaking too bad about the police because I have met officers that the ones that did arrest me were nice to me. So I always have to say that. However, they're not all like that. Now, what the police is then saying is that, well, this was five years ago and we dealt with it then, you know, it can't. But that person never dealt with that. They they kept quiet because they don't know how to come after the police. You know, the police are a very powerful thing. And when we talk about gangs, the police is the biggest gang of all. The biggest gang. You know, they, they have a whole team. Like when we ha- see mm. all these boys on the road, that this is where we have a problem with the, the young people fighting against each other and doing all this stuff. But the one thing I liked about the protest was when all the boys, all the men came up and they were like, if you think mm. you're a bad man, yeah, if you think you're a bad man, yeah, the ones that talk about going to the roads and fighting their own, come today and be a bad man for your people. I'm not going to lie, even though it was sounded so aggressive, yeah, I was like, yes, my brother, yes. Like, because it was like, for the first time, black people were like, no, we have to do this together. Like, there was probably a lot of men that were standing there that wanted to beef each other, but they couldn't, not that day, because they're like, no, 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 no. Today's not the day that we fight each other. Today's the day we fight everybody else because it's us against them. And that's how it is in prison. It's us against them. Do you understand? So it's like, if we're bringing this to the roads, now all of a sudden you've got people going, Hold on a minute. I actually don't need to be for you, know. Do you know why? Because actually, mm. white people are killing us now, and we need to figure out what's going on. We need to come together. And for the first time, I think that's what's happening. But it's also ma- making people assess things that happened to them in the past, things that they know weren't right, and even more so, things that they never reported. Every time I go to a job, a position, I have to make sure I do a hundred and ten. Why? Mm. Because I'm an ex-offender. They've hired me knowing I'm an ex-offender. I can't let my people down. If somebody else after me tries to apply for that job with my experience or my background, I want that manager or that company to be like, yeah, well, we had Brenda. She was sick. So that they can get the opportunity that I had. If I mess it up and cause a fight and cause trouble, that person's going to come in. They're going to go, oh, well, no, we already worked with one ex-offender and she weren't great. You know, so I had to. But, but I had this to is the, this is the problem, though. Like, it, it must be so exhausting to have to to constantly manage yourself, you know, and constantly be like, "Well, can I show this emotion? Can I show that emotion? Am I gonna? Am I allowed to have this emotion because I'm black or because yeah. I've been to prison?" This leads me to to the point of music and performance poetry or spoken word mm-hmm. because I find it quite an interesting arena where we can start. Like, it's almost as if 
through performance or through the stage you are allowed yes. to embody <laughs> different emotions right yeah and because it's like you can put something in an articulate way or like in a an interesting way through yeah. poetry suddenly you can talk about quite Deep, challenging quote-unquote yeah. challenging content I mean it's not yeah. challenging it's real right it's but real because you're putting it in a in a nice way people are more willing to listen to it which <laughs> I'm not saying is right you know like we should be able to say it blunt but Literally, like also it is what it is it right? is what like, it is <laughs> that's why music can be such an incredible vehicle for activism because yeah we're changing the way that we think exactly. through the words that we say, which exactly. is amazing. And that's the and power. And on of the it. topic, it is the power of it for sure. But on that uh, no, it is time for <laughs> what's the three? The question I'm asking everybody in some form of variation. Uh, so Brenda, I'm going to ask you. I'm I'm hoping I'm not going to be outing myself as a weirdo on this one. <laughs> What are the three songs that are always stuck in your head? For example, my one, if I'm being honest, yep. Washing Machines of Longwood Calgon. <laughs> Every day. If someone was to be like, Vanda, say the first song that comes into your head, that's it for me. I'm a consumerist oh, dream. <laughs> What's your three? <laughs> um, songs. Or like jingles. I'll be honest, one song, uh, so I've got, okay, one song is, uh, do you remember, uh, what's it called? Forever Young, I Wanna Be Forever Young. Is that Lisa? No, I don't know, I swear, I don't know who sings it, but I just know that I remember, and I think, quite nice. I think Ken, I think, no, not Kendrick, I think Kanye West might have, Kanye West and Jay-Z maybe? But there's, there's something else. In, I'll send it to you on after. I'll find it and see. Yeah, do. The only reason that song is because um, while I was in prison, it played a lot when I was working in DHL, and we all used to like, you know, remember Supermarket Sweep, and you walk around with the trolleys and that. Like, <laughs> that's literally what it that's was. That's on Netflix now, you know. <laughs> I'm not up. even joking. Shut I've up. seen it on Netflix. No. I'm not even joking. Don't. Unless, unless I had some kind of like hallucination, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I saw Supermarket Sweep on Netflix. That is crazy. But, but the thing is, yeah, if it is, I want to be on it. I want to be on supermarkets. Is it like a like, new Can we one? do it? Can I'm we please apply? Because if I tell, because if I tell my even my, my friend, he'll be like, "What? When? Where?" <laughs> it's a team of two, though, right? I swear, you have to write. That's it. Yeah, let's if do it. If anybody <laughs> is listening that produces that show, me and Brenda ready. want to We're be ready. on it. We're ready. We're Brother, ready. I'm so competitive. I would be like, "Oh my god, stop, <laughs> stop grabbing that cereal." Hard. <laughs> Take everything quickly. No, I'm on it. I'm on it. Producers, yeah, we're here. We're ready. Let us know. <laughs> Um, that one and one other song definitely that is uh, Mary Mary can't give up now nice um, because it just it just sang so much um, to me while I was in jail um, waiting for my appeal and then didn't get it and whatnot um, third song hmm I don't know actually third song third song actually Sam Cook. um Ooh, I've got it on Wonderful one of my world. No, 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 no. Oh my god, I can't believe it's gone. It's on my SoundCloud because I've I, I made um I one Sam of my Cook. vocalists. Yeah, like it was. 
Yours are really nice though. Like yours are really passionate. Mine, the bloody cow gone advert. Do you know what though? Like they're <laughs> nice, but they have such dark memories. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like they have such dark memories, but it's like for me, right? So I pray a lot, right? And especially when I get a really good email when it's like a job opportunity, I'm like, oh my God. I don't even finish reading the email. I just pray. I'll get down my knees and I pray. And that's something I've done a lot in prison. And this might sound weird, but you know, when I pray now out here, especially when it's good news, I cry. I cry a lot. And this is something that I've started doing, especially after Joe. I cry, especially if someone's pissing me off. And because I'm angry, instead of like being aggressive towards them or saying anything aggressive, I just cry. And sometimes it does make me look weak, but I don't really care because at least I'm not getting in trouble. Like all I'm doing is shedding tears. But when I pray and I close my eyes, I kid you not, like I I see my whole prison sentence. I can feel the emotions that I was feeling, like the pain. Mm. But then I start laughing and then crying because it's a painful time that I feel, but I know that now I'm out and there's so much great things happening. And I always say, God, you're funny. You're a joker because I really strongly believe that my prison sentence was meant to happen. I don't think that, you know, I think somebody else could have got sent to prison exactly the same way as me, um, exactly the same sentence, and then would have not had the experience that I had. But I think for the, the, I mean, two and a half years, you do half. Other people have done longer than me. But I think that my sentence, I went through everything. Like, I could have got sent to prison for six months and to do three months, and I would have been in Holloway and then out and not had gone to the foreign national prison. So I wouldn't have seen the other side of the prison. But Mm -hmm. what happened was... I went through every single thing. And in that in that thing, it just made me realise that this is not a place for no one to go. And it was like, God was like, you need to go here, see what really happens here so you can do something about it. And I also think that God must have thought, if I let this girl like, continue, because I think before I went to jail, I'd been through so much. And this is what people don't talk about so much with women you know, they've been through so much in their life and then something happens. They haven't been able to deal with the stuff that's already been happening to them and then they're sent to jail. So for me, yes, for me, it's like there were so much things already going on. I finally had the love of my family back. You know, it's been ripped apart from someone attacking my sister and then I'm trying to fight. And and I don't think I was just fighting for my sister. I think I was fighting for my family connection that I had just Mm. got back, you know, and in that moment, it looked like it was being ripped away from me. And I never got to deal with that. I then got sent to jail. But ideally, I think that if if I had stayed in that kind of anger, still not dealing with the problems I had, I think I could have gone to jail for longer. I think I could have got involved in more things. And I think even after the fight, I had like these like older women. I'm like 20, like and they're older women. And I was getting phone calls, you know, being told that people are going to come after me. And my mentality even though I weren't like road, like ready, like I had friends that were road ready. So for people to start calling me and saying, they're going to do this to me and do that to me and da, 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 da. I could have easily been like, cool, let's go in it. Like, let's do this. And I could have ended up in another fight where someone was seriously, seriously hurt. And I could be doing a life sentence or something. Do you know what I mean? So for me, I feel like God was just like, no, 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 I need to remove Brenda because Brenda's a fighter. And she fights for everything she cares about. And if you put her in a situation where she's fighting, she's going to fight. So if I put her in a situation where she realizes that she needs to fight for all these people, she'll fight for them. And that's exactly mm. what happened. I came out. I realized it's a madness. I realized I've left people in jail that are still going through the madness. I need to do something about it. And I mm. honestly think that that's why it all happened. I don't think that, I don't, I don't think it was a mistake. Like, I, I wouldn't I mean, think you're the doing judge, it. I wouldn't you think the doing judge. It. 
I think would... you're you're just an incredible advocate for for people that have, have had some of these experiences and and like I said at the beginning like providing a platform for for people to share those experiences is incredible so where can people find you like what's your Instagram website well we know you've got Snapchat <laughs> like, uh, I wouldn't add I wouldn't no don't add me on Snapchat don't worry about Snapchat that's that, that's my no 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 makeup days just just my dog on there most of the time now literally just falling asleep um but Instagram at Lady Unchained I also have a, um Instagram for Unchained Poetry which to be honest I have been neglecting um and I am on Twitter at Unchained Poetry Amazing. And while you're there, you can follow me too at Vandercanton, W-A-N-D-A. And my website is vandercanton.co.uk. Thanks for listening to Three in a Crowd with V and B. Yeah. I just want to let that happen. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here, Brenda. Honestly, it's been a pleasure oh, always to talk welcome. to you. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. After this lockdown, we need to proper like get out there. And I'm coming, I'm coming to you, mate. I need to sum that yes. hot <laughs> But before we go. Here is Lady Unchained's Key to Freedom to pay us out. Until next time, ciao. It started with anger, prayers that could have never saved me. I blame God for my pain. See, I put my life in his hands, but his hands must have been full. Because I slipped through the gaps and he couldn't even lend a hand Instead he sent me to jail, even sent a priest And his place to remind me of his so-called love In this place where love doesn't exist Smiles are short-lived Laughters are followed by tears And tears of a sign of weakness I guess you must have not heard my cry From the pits of hell when I Placed my hand on your book of life And prayed for you to take my life So I sent back his love Because in here it's like a matter of life and death And death seems to be the only option I said death seems to be the only option Cold red, cold black I swear I'll never try to end my life The letter found was not my suicide, no In fact that was my safety net My little glimpse of hope but I can see how it looks with me Lying cold on that ground With a letter by my side Non-responsive to your help It's like I kissed death on the lips Prison was my time out My journey back to faith And it wasn't until that moment I realised I wanted to live And I wanted to live it to the fullest So prison became my church Prayers became my daily meal And faith led me back to Christ Because in there It's like a, a matter of life and death and I chose life because death is no longer an option.